0: Hello dreamers and happy new year. I want to thank you for all of your positive feedback and comments regarding episode 73, our very last episode of 2018, The Tale of Stacy Barker. Along with her story, we tied in three other cases that made more national headlines at the time that those occurred, namely Susan Smith, Diane Downs, and Casey Anthony. And of course, many of you were familiar with those stories. So it was my intention to not delve too deeply into those particular cases in terms of what occurred, but rather to look for some reasons why they occurred. We discussed at great length how family dysfunction and child sex abuse were likely to have a significant impact on at least some of those mothers. But there was something that I overlooked that listener and Facebook commenter Sarah W. pointed out that I didn't discuss the letter that Susan Smith received from Tom Finley, the breakup letter. Sarah described it as incredibly patronizing and infuriating. I'm not sure why it didn't occur to me to discuss the letter beyond its contents, which, by the way, again, I need to thank Justin from the Mysterious Circumstances podcast for reading it for me. I really think it was more impactful to have him do it than me But if I had to guess, I know that when I was getting into that part of the story, trying to understand the whys behind the killings of these children, and in this case, Susan Smith's decision to kill her two young boys, I was pretty focused on her family, specifically the sexual abuse that she had endured at the hands of her stepfather, Bev Russell. I did feel like the letter was kind of the last straw for Smith, and to me, based on the contents of his letter and the way that he worded things, it seemed pretty obvious that Susan was pushed over the edge by it. At the same time, I do feel I needed to stop short of assigning any kind of blame in his direction because ultimately it all came down to Susan Smith and the actions that she would take. I said in the episode, and I still believe that Tom's motivation to end the relationship was not necessarily the fact that she had children, though it seems to have been a factor to an extent. He seemed moved to end it once and for all, after he had witnessed her and that married man kissing at the party at his dad's estate. Susan was backed into a corner and she was desperate to win Tom back. And of those two things that he pointed out as deal breakers, the children and the promiscuity, the only thing that she could change immediately was the presence of the children. Her boy craziness, as Tom Finley called it, was something that she could work on over time. But her kids, they were permanent, and she needed to find a way to eliminate them from the equation forever. We will go over Tom's letter one more time and pick it apart. And we will discuss some of the opinions that my dreamers had in the Facebook group. But what I did not go over in the original episode is that Tom Finley's letter was in fact a response to a letter that Susan Smith had written to him first. Here is what she had to say. Dear Tom, Just a note to thank you for everything. I could never express in words how much you mean to me. I will always treasure our friendship and the many wonderful memories we have made. I want you to know that I have never felt with anyone the way that I feel when I'm with you. I have never felt so needed. You are a very special person, and that is part of why making love to you is so wonderful. I know how you feel about our relationship, and I respect that. I am appreciative of your honesty with me. I do want us to be friends forever, and I'll never let anything happen that would change that. I do hope that we will be able to date some and be together again someday. But if we never made love again, my feelings for you would not change because having you as my friend is worth more to me than sex could ever be worth. Once again, I am sorry for Saturday night and would take it back in a heartbeat if I could. I really wanted to be with you and hated that I wasn't. Thank you for being there for me through all the rough times. You are a true friend. I want you to know that I will always love and care for you for the rest of my life. You are the best friend anyone could ever have. Well, I hope I said everything right. The bottom line is I'm glad that we are friends and if that is all we can be, then we will just have to do a hell of a job of being that. Who knows what the future holds for our relationship. I am just going to live one day at a time. One more thing before I go, please don't ever hesitate to call me if you ever need anything. I will always be here for you. Friends forever, Susan. Now this is all going to be my opinion here because I don't know what precipitated the writing of this letter but I'm assuming that after Tom witnessed Susan making out with the husband of a mutual couple friend of theirs Tom was taken aback by her actions. I'm not saying that everyone in this whole scenario is perfect minus Susan. I mean the married husband guy is reciprocating the interaction. I assume. But did Tom write him an equally harsh letter chastising him for his actions? You know, because it takes two to tango, right? He probably didn't, but he probably had no reason to. He aimed his judginess towards Smith, and it probably made her feel like she was responsible for what happened. No, she should not have been making out with somebody else's husband, especially if she was friends with the couple but she isn't solely to blame for it either. But I tend to think Tom made her feel that she was, which was way unfair. Smith's letter to Tom feels like she's working on some damage control. She seems really super into him. So why she would be kissing another man in a place where he would be witnessing it, I don't quite get it. And I can only think of maybe two possibilities. One is that she didn't know that he saw, which seems unlikely because they were at his father's house. So chances are he would be milling around, socializing, and interacting with the partygoers. Two is Smith did this on purpose, feeling as though Tom was already starting to slip away from her as he likely made it clear that he was not interested in a relationship that involved the possibility of parenting children, not hers, and not even his own. He did not want kids, and from the sounds of both hers and his letters, he made that abundantly clear. So maybe her actions with this married friend of theirs was a poorly thought-out plan to make Tom jealous and it backfired? Susan Smith became a mom at a young age, and her actions seemed short sighted, immature, and juvenile. And if she was trying to woo Tom back by making him jealous, then she definitely underestimated how highly he thinks of himself. And he makes that crystal clear in his letter back to her, which we will go over again in a moment. Susan Smith's letter to Tom, to me, is filled with desperation and contradiction. I feel like she wants him to think she is accepting the stance that he has taken to want to end their romantic relationship, that she respects his decisions, but in the same breath making a play for what the future might hold. She tells him how much she will treasure their friendship, but throws it in there that the lovemaking is so wonderful too. She wants to be friends forever, but hopes that one day they can date again and be together again, but if they ever made love, her feelings would not change because their friendship is too important, more than the sex. But she just told him that she never felt so needed, which is what made the sex so wonderful. She apologized for what she did at the party and wished that she could take it back, probably because it became the catalyst for their breakup along with her children. But the children were already in the equation. I also sense a bit of manipulation on Smith's part when she says, quote, I really wanted to be with you and I hated that I wasn't. It just kind of feels like she's telling him that if he had been with her, then none of that would have ever happened. Like it was his fault for pulling back from their romantic relationship that drove her into the arms of another man. The incident at the party was the last nail in the coffin for Tom. And if Smith was expecting him to come running into her arms, overcome by feelings of losing her because he witnessed her kissing another man, she had another thing coming. As her plan completely went sideways, causing the exact opposite to happen. If Tom was on the fence about being with Susan Smith because of her children, seeing her making out with their married friend sealed the deal for him. He was out. Once he received her letter, he could see that she was still grasping, still hanging on, still telling him that she will love him forever and will always care for him for the rest of her life, but looks to a future that is uncertain as to which direction things will go. And that feels like a bit of denial on her part that she hasn't yet quite accepted that their relationship is over, even though Tom had made it clear that it is. And she continued to talk about the infiniteness of their relationship, whether it be friends or more than friends. In her eyes, there would never be an end. And Tom probably recognized that whatever he was telling her wasn't getting through the way that he was hoping. So we had to come up with a way to make it clear. And the letter he wrote was it. I have mixed feelings about Tom's letter. It's hard to say if he realized how he was coming across in it, because we have to try to put ourselves in his shoes, in his place, and in his mind as he is writing this. Now granted, he's likely been raised differently than most of us listening. His family is very wealthy, he comes from a place of privilege, he's college educated, and so he probably is going to think and say things differently than the average person. Is he going to realize that? It's hard to say. But it isn't unlike us average folk to feel wealthy people are just out of touch. And sometimes they just don't get it. I get that vibe from Tom to an extent. But I also sense he's kind of just done with the whole thing. He sounded like he had told her several times already, made it clear how he stands in terms of any long-term possibility for them. He tried in the beginning of his letter to tell her the qualities that she possesses and that he appreciates her intelligence, her beauty, that she's sensitive and understanding and that someday she will make a lucky man, a great wife but he followed that up with the harsh reality that it's not going to be him. And this is where he becomes condescending and kind of pompous, telling her that they are vastly different, that they had been raised in two totally different environments. There is only one way that that could be taken. He was raised in a wealthy, upper-class environment, and she was not. And that means that she existed on another plane, regardless of whichever one that may have been, they were all beneath him. He followed that up with, quote, that's not to say that I was raised better than you or vice versa. It just means that we come from different backgrounds, unquote. But I do think that's exactly what he meant, that he's better than her. Now, there was a time that he was willing to look past all of that in order to become romantically involved with Smith, even though he admitted in his letter at one point that he could easily fall for her. Later on in his letter, he said, despite her children, he was allowing himself to warm up to the idea of being more than friends. But then he pointed to other women that he had previously been in love with, whom he decided he could no longer be with because they had different visions for their future one of them wanting to be married and have children. And he simply didn't see that in the cards for himself. So here I believe he's attempting to point out to Susan that his feelings about relationships and children isn't exclusive to her, that he has been consistent throughout, that he is adamant that he doesn't want to have kids, to get her to understand that it isn't her, it's him. He then went into how he doesn't want to hurt anyone the way he hurt his previous girlfriends by getting involved in a long-term relationship, knowing that he was never going to want to settle down or get married or have children. And when the relationship reached that crossroad, he ended up having to end the relationship hurting somebody that he loved and cared for very deeply. And he told Smith he would not do that again. And that, to me, seems somewhat genuine. Nobody really wants to see someone that they care about hurting. It's not a good feeling. And I think he reached a point with Smith that he was headed down that road again, and he needed to nip this in the bud and end it before it went too far. With that being said, was Tom using Smith? Perhaps for fun or for a good time, for sex. Yeah, maybe. The kids were always a factor. He knew about them from the get-go. So if he never had intentions of ever getting serious with Smith, then he perhaps should have never slept with her in the first place. Obviously to Smith, it was lovemaking. And maybe for a fleeting moment, Tom considered trying to work around the kids in order to continue building a relationship with Smith, as he doesn't strike me as a cold, heartless individual without feeling. And he probably started to have some feelings for her. It's human. It's understandable. He probably played out all of the possible scenarios in his mind, weighing the pros and cons of a relationship with her, but eventually came to the conclusion that it just wasn't worth it. When Tom said in his letter, quote, Susan, I could really fall for you. You have so many endearing qualities about you, and I think that you are a terrific person. But like I have told you before, there are some things about you that aren't suited for me. And yes, I am speaking about your children. I'm sure that your kids are good kids, but it wouldn't really matter how good they may be. The fact is, I just don't want children. Tom's honesty was brutal, but it was honest. And this is what I believe sent Smith spinning. He's clear about it. I just don't want children. That is what jumped off the page and grabbed Smith. That is what drove her. That is what led her into doing what she would end up doing. I just don't want kids. I can just imagine those words burning deep into her heart and soul. Her boys. Michael and Alexander. To her, they were no longer her boys. They were the obstacle between her and Tom. And that's all she could see. She didn't see all the other roadblocks and spike strips that Tom threw out there. That he didn't think that she measured up. That she was from a different world than he was. That he's up here and she's somewhere down there. That he came from a place of money and she didn't. Which is why he went to college and she had kids. That she's good enough for sex, but not good enough for a commitment. That if she wanted to catch a nice guy like him, she needed to act like a nice girl. And that's when he brought up her kissing another man and how that snapped him back into reality with a new sense of clarity about what he was getting himself into. He conceded that he was allowing himself to warm up to the idea of being in a relationship with her despite her children. But then he decided to roll back those feelings the night that he witnessed her and the married man kissing. He told her in his letter that put things back into perspective for him. And he's not going to allow himself to get close to her. And I think the one sticking point for many of us who heard the contents of this letter is when he told Smith that if she wanted to catch a nice guy like him, she needed to act like a nice girl. That right there is probably one of the biggest reasons why Tom Finley bugs us. That he would have the audacity to say something like that in that manner. He went on to tell her that she needed to live with the consequences of what she did and the consequence was losing any chance of ever being with him again. Smith did not see her actions as the bigger problem. She was hung up on her kids being the thing holding Tom back. But it wasn't Michael and Alexander. It was her. So I posed the question in the Facebook group. What are your thoughts as to what Tom Finley had to say to Susan Smith in his letter to her? And these were some of your answers. KCW said that she knows some of us listening found the letter to be patronizing, but she felt it was refreshing that he told her the truth instead of stringing her along. At this point in this comment thread, we kind of got sidetracked because I mentioned how I kind of felt this was a thing that Travis Alexander was guilty of in his on-again, off-again relationship with Jodi Arias. And if you aren't familiar with the case, in 2008, Arias stabbed Travis Alexander to death in his home after not even having known him for two years yet, only really officially being in somewhat of a committed, defined relationship for about five months because she really didn't fit into the life that he was trying to carve out for himself He was a business person and a motivational speaker and a devout Mormon, but Travis was very sexually attracted to Arius, and he brushed aside his religious beliefs in order to engage in sexual activity with her, and it was pretty lurid, X-rated kind of stuff, so obviously he was conflicted, but not conflicted enough to stop having sex with her and it seemed as though he was going through this cycle of desiring to be with Arius, then feeling guilt or shame about his trespasses, so he'd push her away, then he'd go back again. He knew that she was in love with him, obsessed even, but he continued to have sex with her despite knowing that he would never marry her, which she made clear is what she wanted. Arius ultimately reached a point where she could not take it anymore, especially when she came to realize that he was courting other women who did belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So she set up this whole elaborate plan to kill him and try to get away with it. Anyway, long story short, I had replied on Casey's comment that Travis would tell Arius to F off but continue to sleep with her and leading her on And like Casey had said, when she pointed out that Tom was trying to be honest about his feelings, Christy agreed with my take on Travis, explaining that it made her angry how Travis behaved and all the hurt that it was causing Arius. And I wanted to be clear that we are definitely walking a fine line of victim blaming here, which is not what the intention is. It's just you kind of wish Travis would have walked away or realized or understood how volatile Arius really was things could have gone very differently. And I know one of my moderators, Crystal M., has a lot of thoughts about this, as there always has been a lot of hate for Jody Arias. And it really shouldn't be dismissed or diminished that Travis treated Arias pretty badly throughout the duration of their so-called relationship. Not a justification for murder, but he was playing with fire. And we all know what happened. Chris T. also said that she didn't think that Tom had any intentions of ever having a long-term relationship with Smith. And in her opinion, he was using her, as many men in her life had. And the excuses that he gave her in the letter were just that, excuses. And she does not believe for one second that he was a good man that was hurt by her trying to be with other men or that her children were too much for him. She thinks that he had his fun and was done. Elizabeth C. said that she thinks that there might be some truth to that. At the very least, he didn't want to be a step-parent. She also thinks that Tom started to do the math and that maybe Smith was eyeballing his money and he wanted to dip out of that mess. And this was his attempt to try to let her down as gently as possible because a man of his means couldn't possibly be caught up with a mess. But she also feels that Tom may be a lesser victim if people blame the crime on him and they're doing so inappropriately. I commented and said that I did not want to point fingers at Tom either as being the cause for all of this. But as I said, his letter could have been the trigger that caused Smith to snap. And at the time, the whole country was hating so hard on her. Tom really wasn't even considered an issue. But looking back... Some feelings about him and the way that he worded things may have shifted. To be honest, I don't even know or think that I knew the details of Tom's letter at the time. I just knew that Smith had experienced a breakup with a man who didn't want kids. Chris T. is enjoying that we are all enjoying her comment on the discussion thread. And you tell your husband that you are not crazy, that maybe he's the crazy one. Lisa Bean said that she thinks that if Tom was only interested in using Smith, then why write the letter in the first place? Why not just dump her? Why explain everything? It's not like he'd be the first man in history to just drop a woman after having his fun. She thinks that he would have cared for her on some level to put that much effort into his letter. And his reasons for ending the relationship aren't necessarily excuses. Because if that were the case, then you could say that about anyone who ends a relationship. To that point, I would say it would depend on if Tom were being honest or not. If Chris is right and he was only using Smith for a good time, then yes, he came up with these excuses in order to say, I was using you for fun and sex, and now it's no longer fun, and I no longer desire having sex with you, so let's just be friends. They aren't necessarily excuses if they're the truth and perhaps it's a combination of both. But I bet seeing her and the married man kissing was a huge turnoff. If the kids weren't deterring him from sleeping with Smith, that could have been the deal breaker for him. Rebecca Jane says that she feels Tom was honest and his honesty was commendable. But the letter was indeed patronizing. She doesn't think that he realized that at the time, but she doesn't know enough about him to say whether he was abusive or not. He should not have gotten involved with her to begin with, and she can imagine him feeling guilty afterwards. And Rebecca feels in a way that he is another victim of hers. Let's not forget all the other people that Susan Smith victimized with her actions, my dreamers. Her ex-husband, his family, her family, the entire community who thought that there was a crazed black man going around Union, South Carolina, carjacking people and stealing babies. She victimized the law enforcement, the divers, the crime scene investigators, those hardened, grown men who had to get up on the stand only to break down into tears when they had to talk about what they saw. The diver, who first laid eyes on the baby's hand in the window, who saw them dangling upside down in their mother's car. The one who had to put those babies into body bags. And all the jurors, and the judge, and the attorneys, and the courtroom observers, who sat there and listened to the testimony as to what nine days in the water does to a baby. And they weren't even shown pictures because they were that awful. Yeah, the victims of Susan Smith goes on and on and on. Stacey M. said that she kind of wonders how Tom feels knowing that him saying that he didn't want her kids basically caused her to kill them. She wonders if he felt any responsibility for that. Ultimately, it was Smith that did that, of course, but still. You could see him feeling some kind of remorse for the boys' lives being lost. But he's probably been able to tell himself, along with his support system of family and loved ones, to remind him that it really isn't his cross to bear, which it isn't. I do think, however... If he knew that he wasn't going to be in this for the long haul, based solely on the fact that she had children, and he knew this from the start, then I think he should have never gone there in the first place. There are plenty of single, childless women out there. But it is my understanding that Susan Smith was and is quite alluring, I do believe at least two prison guards have lost their jobs over having intimate relations with her since she's been incarcerated. Tom could not have known the path that Smith would take in order to win his affections. She tried jealousy. She tried winning his sympathy. She longed for him in her writings. Nothing was working. So for her, it came down to the kids. He didn't want them. And if that's what it was going to take for her to have him, yeah, she did that. Tina E. said that she thinks Tom tried to be honest with Smith and tried to let her down easy, saying it's me, not you. Yeah, I kind of think that too. I do not think he knew how troubled and damaged Smith was prior to him getting involved with her. And even if he did, I can't say that he realized how hurtful and patronizing his words actually were. Lisa Beans commented and said that she doesn't see what was patronizing about his letter. He told her the truth, and he tried to give her some news that she could use. Fooling around with people's husbands probably isn't the greatest idea if a long-term relationship is what you're after. Lisa thought Tom was pretty nice to Susan. And it's definitely nowhere near his fault that she thought he'd be more interested in a child murderer than a mother. And Lisa, you have a good point. And I'm thinking the points where he says stuff like, if you want a good guy like me, and I was raised around people who had the money to go to college, and we were raised differently, were kind of his roundabout way of saying. I'm too good for you. In some, not all people might take it that way. It just depends. A strong woman might have been able to walk away with a lesson learned. Susan was already emotionally fragile and unstable, though he could not have known that, of course. Personally, I don't think he meant to come off like a jerk, but I could see that being the takeaway for some. And Mary Virginia agrees with you on this. Virginia H. thinks that Tom was above and beyond nice about it and would have dumped her even if she didn't have any kids. And Mary Virginia agreed that the bigger issue seemed to be her and the married man kissing and possibly sleeping with married men. I agree with that as well. And sadly, if Tom thought telling her it was because of her kids... That he didn't see a future with her was better than telling her that he thinks her moral compass was askew due to her willingness to be intimately involved with married men, then he was wrong. Hindsight is twenty-twenty, and if he had just left the kids out of the conversation altogether and just said that he didn't like what he saw, which was her not having a problem kissing someone else's husband, would Michael and Alexander be around today? They'd be in their 20s, maybe getting started in their careers, possibly getting married, having children of their own. Smith's willingness to wipe out their existence on Earth, if not triggered by Tom's letter, it could very well have been someone else, sometime else. Tracy D. pointed out that the letter was written many years ago and that the language of it comes across as patronizing now for the present. But Tom was honest, and she thinks that he probably spoke more kindly to Smith than she'd ever been spoken to in the past. Lacey R. said while she was listening, her thought was, My God, if some guy were to write this letter to her, she would have had to stop several times to bang her head against the damn wall to get through it. What a droning pile of ship poop. Lacey would not have been able to finish it. And she knows that she's not the most emotionally available woman around, but come on, if she were in her position, she would just want him to say that he didn't want to date her and be done with it. Also, side note, you know, if he made this breakup letter this awful, any date with him would be so expletive boring. Like if you were to ask him, how was your day? And he'd actually give you a minute-by-minute play-by-play because he truly believes he's so damn interesting that you'd hang on every single word. And side note to your side note, Lacey, my husband can be a drone talker too, so I get it. Lacey would bet money that this guy was an insufferable rich boy with an inflated sense of self-importance and Susan had stars in her eyes over him because she bought into his BS. But that's just her guess. That's a decent amount of speculation there on your part, Lacey. And I bet the way that Smith was so gaga over him also pumped up his ego as well. Case in point, her letter to him. And Lisa Beans and Sarah W. agreed with you, my friend, so there you have it. Elaine F. was conflicted because she is not a Tom Finley fan, but she enjoyed listening to Justin reading the letter. I know, right? It was a crappy letter, but he made it sound so good for us. Elaine thinks that Tom was being as honest as he could be, and what felt condescending was just the way that he is. Smith was such a mess with low self-esteem and wanted to make more of that friendship than it was. She was grasping for a new life with whoever. And in Elaine's opinion, Susan Smith was pretty detached from reality at that point, and this became the perfect storm. Renee C. said nothing he said warranted her murdering her babies. That is all. Vanessa H. said that Susan Smith acted very juvenile, showing up where she wasn't invited, flirting with other guys to make him jealous. She acted like a kid, so he wrote to her like a kid. And yeah, I kind of thought the same thing about her being immature and stuff. Sue N. thinks that Tom may have been interested in her, But as their relationship progressed, he could see how damaged that Susan Smith was. He spoke of looking after herself before jumping into another relationship. And although that may sound patronizing, she doubts anyone would have been that frank with her before. It felt like he genuinely liked her as a person but could not deal with the damage and the baggage that she came with. And that's a reflection on both of them. Sue thinks that Smith can only see herself being whole with a man. Her abuse as a child really damaged her, and she does not think Smith progressed emotionally from the age that the abuse started. Some therapy would have been great if someone could have helped her before the tragedy. Natalie B. said other than the condescending remarks about the nice girl behavior, she feels like Tom cared for Smith, and he was honest, which is what she needed. Smith was never going to take any kind of veiled hint that he wasn't interested while they were together, and if he had talked face-to-face with her, it might have been too much. Saying how he felt in a letter was enough. If events had played out differently, though, she thinks it would have been hard on both of them to maintain a friendship. Susan didn't take the letter well, and probably would have kept trying anyway. Kathleen P. said that she thinks the letter was mostly appropriate But the BS about the birthday and Christmas gifts was just dumb. Tom was trying to cut her off gently. And on top of that, she thinks it was wrong of Smith to have continued in the sexual relationship into her adult years with her stepdad and that she had no self-awareness. Rebecca Jane disagreed and that the sexual abuse was all on Bev Russell and that it wasn't Smith's fault and that she was groomed. Kathleen agreed, but... Smith did report the abuse, and she continued on with it into her mid-twenties, even though it was wrong. That perhaps Smith had feelings for him, and this was just her opinion and not meant to be offensive. Now, I thought it was strange that the sexual relationship was still ongoing as well. I don't know what was going on in Smith's mind at that point. Maybe she was gaining something from it emotionally, or maybe it was to spite her mother. I don't know, that sounds weird to say, but I don't get why Susan was unable to find a way to try and put an end to it or to seek help or for anyone who may have known to step in and help her. Anyway, Maureen S. thought that Tom was being truthful, but during the last half of the letter, he was being a patronizing, egotistical jerk. Anna W. said that she felt like he was being honest too even if he was a bit of a prick about it, honest nonetheless, and it seemed like he was trying to let her down easy. Mary G said that she thinks that he was a douche, but she also thinks that he was being honest and trying not to lead her on. It seemed like he wasn't as bothered by her kids as he was by her flirting. She doesn't think that he led her to believe in that letter that he would take her back if she didn't have kids. He definitely came across saying, You are not good enough for me. Kara Lynn said that she loved hearing Justin reading the letter and that totally caught her off guard and made her smile. And me too when he sent it to me. I was totally blown away when I listened to it. And Kara is with Lacey on this. This letter was way too long and drawn out. He could have even said this to her face. In her state of mind, having a letter with several different reasons to not be with her It's easy for her to hang on to a certain reason, and that was that he didn't want kids. So, it's like she's obsessed over that part only. Also, why the F does he go into details about him and his freaking ex? I wouldn't want to hear about that. This letter totally rubbed Carolyn the wrong way, and it was mostly unnecessary. Well, as for bringing up the ex, I think he wanted to point out to Smith that she wasn't the only woman that he had to end things with because of their life goals not being aligned in a weird way to make her not feel completely singled out like she's man repellent because she has children. I felt as though that during the duration of their relationship that Tom may have brought up his previous girlfriends and talked about why those didn't work out because he mentioned them in his letter as if Susan Smith had already been told about them previously. Mary Virginia wondered how Tom feels about the letter now, too, but after hearing the whole letter, the kids were just one line. He spent a lot more time talking about her being with married men and the event over that weekend. She feels like he was giving her hard advice and trying to be gentle about it. But for some reason, gentle often equals rambling, at least in Mary's world. Sarah W., who I mentioned in the beginning, who asked about why I didn't address the contents of the letter in the episode, pointed out that the focus was and is entirely on the letter, not what Susan Smith gleaned from it or nor what she did after reading it. No one wants advice from the person who was dumping them. Who the hell is he to say what she should do or not do? The part that really made Sarah want to ring some necks was when he said if she wanted to be with a nice guy like him, she would have to be a nice girl. That statement puts him far above her, as if he's on some sort of rainbow that she could only aspire to. F that. Natalie B. said that when you put it that way, he's dumping her. Why does he get to determine who gets a good or bad label? And unless the split was expected and extremely amicable, there's no way I'd be happy taking advice from someone who dumped me. Never mind telling someone that essentially they need to change themselves. Maybe it was just how he was brought up to view women, but certainly that aspect of the letter would have been triggering considering Susan's past. Sarah said yes, she was very vulnerable to the attention and the opinion of males, but again, She is not blaming Tom in any way for what she ultimately did. Sarah was just so incensed while hearing this letter. The woman Sarah is today would laugh at the audacity, but there was a time in her life when she would have taken those words to heart and supposes that that's what made her so angry. Sarah's been that vulnerable woman, and she's experienced the condescending male. Knowing what she knows now, his letter was absolutely disgusting. Natalie said, if anything, it was so clear that Smith was vulnerable and all Tom had to do was break off contact. Instead, he made it seem like he cared about her while making it all about him and his needs while being completely condescending about it. Natalie commented earlier on the thread about how Tom's letter wasn't actually so bad And he probably didn't envision it would end the way that it did. But subconsciously, it seemed to say a bit about how he viewed their relationship, where he saw things going and how he saw her. No one is ever going to straight up tell you how awful you are. It's dressed up in a lot of half-truths and lies. She thinks it would have been better for Susan and Tom if he had just been honest. Sarah said yes. His major mistake was trying to be nice. When you're dealing with a vulnerable person, they're going to cling to anything positive that you have to say. He should have been much more straightforward and told her that he simply didn't want a romantic relationship with her. That letter gave her hope. Sarah cannot stress enough that she does not blame him or his letter for what she did to her kids. She just really disliked his approach. Totally condescending. He should have just told her that they weren't a match and left it at that. This was a situation in which fewer words would have been better. Shelley M. said parts of the letter are patronizing, and others are weird. Overall, she thinks his intentions were good, and he took his time and was thoughtful as he wrote the letter. Tom wasn't deliberately mean. There was a tone of caring in his words. It could not have been an easy message to compose. Would there have been a better way about it? Sure. Shelley can only speak for herself, but his letter is better than what she could have ever written. And finally, Lee B said that she is trying to think from his point of view. Perhaps he tried to talk to her about all of this and couldn't make himself understood. She thinks that he was laying out his thoughts and genuine concern for somebody that he cared about but didn't see a future in the relationship. From our rearview mirror, it's a shame that she destroyed so much and made this letter public record. Thank you everyone who took the time to comment, and Sarah W., I hope this clears up any concerns regarding the lack of analysis of Tom Finley's letter. So while I was researching the four cases that we talked about in episode 73, Susan Smith, the only one who admitted responsibility out of the four, Diane Downs, though she continues to maintain her innocence, Casey Anthony, though not officially convicted, and Stacy Barker, though she continues to insist her baby choked to death on a plastic bag, I thought back upon Shanann, Celeste, Bella, and Nico Watts, and it had me wondering if we, as a society, think it's more despicable when a mother kills her children as opposed to a father. I asked in the Facebook group, and... I wanted to share some of your answers here as well before we close out this addendum. Here is what you all had to say in response to my question. Vicki G commented and said that both are equally deplorable, but if you press her, she would probably lean towards it feeling worse if the mother does it because working in midwifery, she has seen thousands of families and the bond of the mother and child is so deep, crucial and biological. That she might think it's worse. Dave W. said that the act is equally deplorable, but socially harder to understand when a mother does it. Men are often seen as more emotionless and capable of killing than women are. Aaron H. agreed, but it's kind of backwards because so many murders are committed out of pure emotion. Cynthia D. says that for some reason it does feel worse when the mom commits the murder. And Samantha D said the same. It feels worse. She doesn't even have kids yet, but the love she feels that she already has for her future children is strong already that she can't imagine hurting an innocent child that she spent nine months growing and nurturing in her body. It's so much more personal. It's deplorable from either parent, but especially heinous to murder a child that you carried and delivered into the world. Aaron H. asked if it seemed different if the mother isn't the biological mother, like in a situation with adoption or a step-parent. And when you said step-parent, I automatically thought of Zahara Baker. Oh, that case makes me so sad. Someday I want to find a reason to tell her story. Samantha D. answered and said she thinks it's different because we've heard stories about where the step-parent and foster parents treat their children like garbage. She thinks the biological connection is key. Although, why anyone would go through all the effort to adopt a child just to kill or hurt that child is beyond her. She pointed to the Hart family tragedy as an example of going through so much to put together a family, only to kill them. Donna Jay said both are horrible and she can't understand how someone could kill their own child, or any child for that matter. However, it does seem more deplorable for a mother because for goodness sakes, you grew that baby inside your body. April S. said that being lucid and sane, she can't understand how someone could kill their own child or children, but she does understand postpartum psychosis. She feels lots of empathy for someone like Andrea Yates, but Susan Smith or Chris Watts, totally despicable. Murdering your children for gain is equally reprehensible, male or female. Lisa Ann said only because she is a mother does a mother killing her children seem infinitely worse. But truth be told, they are both equally as bad. There isn't anything more despicable than a parent betraying the trust of a child. Lindsay G. said that she thinks it's worse if the mother does it. Moms carry their children inside them and give them life and endure a lot of pain to bring them into this world. She can more easily see a man disconnecting emotionally than a woman. Jorge G. said they're both equally deplorable, and he does not know how either a mother or a father can live with themselves after committing such a horrendous act. Anna W. said that she feels biased because she is a woman and she bore a child and thinks it's really hard for a mother to answer this question without getting emotional. And Anna, I totally understand where you're coming from. This is a tough question to want to think about. LS wondered if it's just a question of women happen to kill less than men do. So you kill your own child as a mother is even more unlikely. But when a man does it, although it's still completely unfathomable to her, Maybe we are more desensitized to men killing? Samantha D also said that she thinks men tend to walk out on their children more than women do. Not to say that there aren't kick-ass single dads out there, because we know that there are, but how many of us know someone that's a deadbeat dad or the dad walked out on the family for whatever reason? Tanya T said it's dreadful killing your own child. However, she can understand if you're not in your right mind, like with postpartum depression or psychosis. She has only one child and did not have postpartum issues, but did struggle with depression. And when she was going through her divorce, she was not in her right mind. So while she didn't have the urge to kill her child, she can see how it can happen. I don't know if any of the moms in these cases we talked about could have been considered to be suffering from postpartum depression or psychosis. But I don't believe any of them brought that up in their defense, and really the only one who could have was Susan Smith because she's the only one to have admitted killing her children. Emily H. said it's equally horrific, but society seems to think it's worse when a mother kills her kids versus when a father does. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that the mother carried the baby for nine months. Emily doesn't have kids, but... You don't really need them to not be able to fathom how a mother or a father can destroy their own offspring. Anna V. thinks that both are equally inexcusable. DDJ believes that they are equal in their evilness, and Samantha I. said both are atrocious. But she could see why someone would think more so for a mom because of the notion that they carried the baby for so long and went through so much pain to give them life just to rip it away. Just the idea of anyone being okay with hurting children makes her nauseous. Tracy D. said when women kill as a result of postpartum psychosis, those are completely different than those who kill like Susan Smith. But other than that, mothers and fathers who kill are equally horrible. As she was listening to what Watts did to his family, she couldn't imagine doing any of that, even to someone she hated, or to someone who'd hurt her. How could anyone do that to someone that they cared about? Suzanne B. said both are equally deplorable, and so did Crystal P. She finds both scenarios to be equally despicable. The only time she thinks she felt bad for someone that murdered her children was Andrea Yates, and that was after everything was illuminated during her trial, and that she doesn't understand how her husband in that scenario wasn't held partially responsible either. Well, under the law, there was probably nothing that Rusty Yates could be charged with. And I am grateful that Andrea was taken off a death row as well. That would have been another tragedy. Samantha D said the reasons behind the killings are usually different as well when talking about mothers versus fathers. When women kill their children, it's usually some kind of psychosis or mental break where men seem to kill for financial gain or to start a new life with the mistress, to end that responsibility, etc. Still horrific, no matter the motive. Crystal Nicole said that they're equally deplorable, but also echoed the sentiment that when a mother does it, it feels worse because they have a close bond with their children, having carried them in their bodies for nine months. Rebecca Jane said it's equally horrible, but more shocking when it's the mom She thinks probably because it happens less often. Also because women are generally viewed as closer as they have carried and given birth to the child. Christina S. said she thinks that we just have lower standards of behavior for men. And in her opinion, that's an entirely learned phenomenon. In reality, both scenarios are equally reprehensible. Stephanie L. said the problem with postpartum depression is that you don't know you have it. Even if it would be clear and logical to you if you knew about it before you had it, I'd totally know if I had it. Well, she begs to differ. It's a weird place you are within your head. The one thing she could say is that doctors really need to watch for it and talk to their patients, particularly new moms, and follow-up appointments, or add a big box of questions on the paperwork to fill out when you go in for a follow-up after giving birth. Amanda W. said both are equally horrible, but she personally hates it more when mothers do it. She knows that sounds kind of dumb, but as a mother herself, she feels like dads have a different bond with their kids. Not that they don't love them any less or anything, but a mother's love is something indescribable. There has got to be some sort of mental break for a mother to kill her kids. And not just like a psychological break, but her wiring must be really off. And in situations like Andrea Yates, she wholeheartedly believes that that poor woman was not in touch with reality. Her story is a whole other can of worms, but she doesn't hate her for her actions. And she has to say, as a woman who did not have the warm and fuzzies as soon as her child came out, like it seemed every other mother in the world did, even before she felt bonded with her son, there was no way that she could have caused him harm. It took her about three months for her to bond with him and to love him more than anything in this entire world and she will feel that until her dying day. Mar W. said the killing of a child is deplorable, horrific, inconceivable, unimaginable, abhorrent, no matter who does it. As a mom though, she cannot conceive of carrying a child for nine months, giving birth, then taking that life. She understands that there are mental situations where this happens and she feels for the women who have gone through that, but she hasn't and therefore no matter how hard she tries, she cannot relate in any way. She looks into her son's eyes and hopes with everything in her that every single day that she never sees the light extinguished. Even imagining it to prepare herself just in case sends so much fear through her that she shuts down. Monica P. said she feels it's equally deplorable, but she used to think it was worse if the mother did it because of her divorce and how he turned his back on the kids. But now she feels that just because of the bond between the mother and child, that doesn't necessarily make it worse. They're all worse. And Laura T. agrees. They are equally deplorable. Felicia S. says that she feels that both are equally horrifying The bond and inherent need to protect your child, both mentally and physically, seems to be born within a mother as soon as we hear it's positive. The father is the protector and the champion of his family. When we pick up the vibe from the mother and father who have never bonded with a child, we internally recoil. She thinks it's in our genetics as humans. There's a special place in hell for people who hurt children. Mar W. agrees except she doesn't even think that hell would welcome them either. Even the devil has his standards, I suppose. Jen T. said it would be equally deplorable, but as the mother of three boys, when she hears about a mother who kills, it makes her angry and sad. Virginia M. also agrees that the act committed by either mom or dad is equally bad. Nazanin J. says that she thinks the mother but don't get her wrong. The father doing it is bad too. But the mother is the one that held that child close to her heart for nine months. The one that you have an automatic connection to the one that nourishes for a mother to kill what she created inside of her is an act of a true villain. Liberty G said a mother as well. We carry children and have that bond for a mom to intentionally hurt, let alone kill her children is utterly disgraceful and a low form of a human being. Cooper P. said it simple, murder is despicable, period. Katina I. said the same thing, that murder is murder regardless of who does it. All perpetrators are pure evil regardless of their relationship to the victim. When a mother or father kills their own children or some random person kills another person's child, it's all horrible and tragic. Clara L. said sometimes women kill their children because they have severe postpartum depression. It's a mental illness, and they have little control. But yes, it is definitely more shocking and difficult to imagine when a woman kills her children. Men are perhaps more susceptible to rage or acts of violence, she thinks, so it's less expected. Also, men who murder their children sometimes do it as an act of possessiveness or aggression, perhaps. Like, this is my family and I'll destroy it because I can. She doesn't really know. Either is still deplorable and inexplicable to her. Janie W. said to her, it's worse when mom does it. And Jerry S. agrees. Mother is worse, mainly from the perspective of having carried the child, but both discussed beyond reproach. Vicki S. says it seems to her that fathers kill their spouses and children more often than mothers do, and we hear about this. So when mothers do it, people are kind of blindsided. Nobody really expects it. But in either case, it is the most horrible thing a person could ever do. Jacqueline D. said that it is equally deplorable. And as much as she loves her son, she cannot believe people can do damage to their own children. Franchon said murder is horrible regardless of the perpetrator and who the victim is. Bonnie Lee cannot help but feel on some level it's worse when mom does it. Delaney W. made a point about primates. Of them all, humans are the worst parents. Other great apes are literally touching full physical contact, their offspring, for up to two full years after birth. We are frequently absent and rely heavily on non-biological caregivers, daycares, and babysitters. This is rarely seen in other primates with young offspring. Humans physically abuse and or neglect basic needs of their offspring at a rate almost completely unseen in other great apes. Humans murder their own offspring at an equally bizarre rate that is rarely seen in other primates. We are sort of known for that in the primate world. All of these statistics are so strange when you consider that human population has literally doubled since the 1960s and the other primates are hardly hanging on with their numbers. As far as the original question is concerned, she would say our current understanding of parental roles is quite different than our first hundred thousand years of evolution. The mothers were engineered to be primary nurturers, caregivers, and full time mommies, and these roles are changing, and fathers now play a much more significant hand in the role with our young children. She thinks any confusion about which infanticide is considered more shocking is due to our adaptation in those changing roles. Also, Delaney is very sorry that she gets excited about talking about boring subjects. And no, it's not boring. This is actually an interesting perspective from an evolutionary point of view. Bridget Kay said it's worse when women kill their children. Growing a baby is hard work, and the love for one's own children is unlike anything else. She feels like the mother-child bond is strong, stronger than the father-child bond from birth, so to her, it's more shocking when mom kills. And by the way, dreamers, whether or not you have children doesn't diminish your capacity to feel deeply or strongly about a topic such as this. I don't ever care to say to a man or a woman that they would never understand because they don't have kids. It would be like saying a mother is doing everything right and perfectly and is all-knowing, just by virtue of having birthed a kid. And we know for damn sure that that isn't true either. Popping out kids doesn't make anybody an expert. Just the same as not having any diminishes your ability to know, feel, and understand human nature and behavior. So, shout out to all the non-parents out there who took the time to discuss along with us on this thread. And Tanya pointed out at some point in this comment thread that she thinks everyone in our Facebook group is super great in their ability to share ideas and be respectful of opinions. I mean, on occasion, some small issues do arise, which is to be expected, but I very much agree. It is a wonderful group of true crime fans, for sure. Thank you all for all of your answers to this question. And so, that, my dreamers, is our take on Tom Finley's letter and our take on moms who kill versus dads who kill. Thank you for all of your feedback in helping me put this together. I am so excited for 2019. Today, as I recorded this, I just decided on the case for episode number 74, and I feel like it's going to be something that you guys have not heard yet before. I'm looking forward to creating as much content as I possibly can for you. Have a wonderful, wonderful 2019. Don't kill your children. And until next time, sweet dreams.